Hello, and welcome to another virtual author chat at the Poison Pen Bookstore. I'm John Charles, and today the Poison Pen is delighted to have back with us author Celeste Connolly, whose new book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Lord, will soon be available in bookstores and libraries near you. The Poison Pen does have copies of Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Lord on order, and we would be happy to hold one for you or put one in the mail. Just give us a call or go online to the Poison Pen Bookstore. Now I'd like to welcome author Celeste Connolly. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm always fascinated by how an author got to where they were as a published author. So can you tell us a little bit about Celeste before you became a writer? You have a rather colorful, colorful career background. Right. Well, um, I've been pretty much in one form of journalism all of my career, um, even starting back into high school and whatnot. Um, and then, um, but once I started writing my own novels, um, I did actually go and work outside of the writing industry so that I could sort of focus my brain power on my writing whenever I could. So, um, but uh, when I was freelancing and writing and editing, I did... Um, educational publishing houses and whatnot, and uh, including, I was one of several writers on an um, a encyclopedia series about ancient and pre-colonial Africa, which was really fascinating. Ooh. And I did some other things. So I did have some really interesting things that I got to do, but I it, but it was a little mishmash. And, um, but then later on, I worked for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo um, for uh, 10 years, which was fun. And that's a huge, huge event here in Houston. It's a big, a month long plus event. And I just had a blast working there. Um, but that in um, marketing that you are writing and marketing? Uh, no, that was that was um, I was actually helping to put on the world's championship barbecue. Oh, and, uh, yes, it's a three day contest. It becomes the this huge parking lot becomes a big old city of its own and full of barbecue um, people, you know, and, and it's one of the biggest barbecue contests in the nation. And uh, it was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. What made you decide now's the time for me to become a published writer? And what was that path to publication like? Well, it was when I was working at the, um, it was the Journal of the American Heart Association. It's called Circulation. And whenever I went into it, those journals are peer reviewed. And so they move with the editor and the editor is a doctor. And so um, whenever they hired me on, there was one year left of the doctor's tenure and then it was moving to Boston and they made it very clear that none of us were invited to go to Boston with the, the journal. So I knew that the job was only for one year. And, um, and so I thought to myself the whole time, every drive to work, I was like, what could I do? Should I go back to work? Should I, I mean, or should I go back to school? Should I, you know, try to do more writing or whatnot? But whenever I was on my drive, which was quite long, I, um, I was going through a novel in my mind and whatnot. And then one day I thought, maybe I just might write my novel or try my novel. And, uh, and I did, and that is the one that's in the proverbial drawer. And, um, but, uh, but I still love it and hope one day it might get published. It's set in the uh, world of show jumping. And um, so, um, but, um, and then I just got started from there. And then I started uh, really going to um, book signings at Murder by the Book here in Houston, which is wonderful. And, met people like Meg Gardner and, and, you know, people who really helped me 
um, say, you know, she said, you need to go to writers conferences, go to BoucherCon, go to Malice Domestic, all of those places. And so I did, and I went for years and I just honed and worked on my, my first, um, cozy mystery. And, um, I also went to the Writers League of Texas, which was wonderful. And, um, and then I, um, sent it off to be edited. I did everything that I could. I hired my own editor and everything. And um, eventually, I entered the Malice Domestic Best First Traditional Novel Contest, and I did it while I was working at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And uh, I did. I, we were so busy, I didn't expect to hear anything, so I just put it out of my mind. And one day, uh, I got the call, and um, and they said, you know, we would like to publish your book. You won the contest, and. Um, and my ancestry detective series under um, SC Perkins, that's what I was writing under then. Um, it just started off and did, uh, you know, well, and I just loved it. And so, um, but um, I don't have a contract for more books of those at the moment. Uh, there, I still have my fingers crossed that eventually, but, um, and then when I was talking with my agents, I had been watching lots of uh, period dramas during the pandemic. And I said, I really think that I would love to write a book about a main character who was, um, you know, in the Regency era, who Regency era, who was a, um, what they call a spinster, an unmarried woman, because I kept noticing how these, these spinsters were treated as sad, pitiable characters. And I just thought, they actually really had to be really strong women to survive as a spinster during that time. So, but I wanted to make it a little lighter, a little more fun. And uh, of course, a mystery and whatnot. So um, my agents were thrilled. My, um, uh, my editor was thrilled. And so uh, we went for it and I just had so much fun writing it. And that's the book that we're here to talk about today. Act like a lady, think like a Lord. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about the plot? Uh, well, the plot um, centers around Lady Petra Forsyth, who is 24 years old, um, and she is the daughter of the Earl of Holbrook, and she was engaged, but she lost her uh, her fiancé to an accident, and after that decided she did not want to be married, and, um, and so it was a scandalous thing back then. But uh, she thought about it and um, and thought I sort of a little bit inspired by Jane Austen's Emma. She had money of her own and um, and she did not want that to be taken from her, as was the norm in that time, because once you were married, everything became your husband's, even your children. And so um, so anyway, so and but, but she um, then she discovers that an old friend um, who she has not heard from in a little while um, may have been uh, may have died and then it turns out that it's looking like that her friend was relegated to an insane asylum by her husband and during that time even before the regency and up until I believe around the 1920s 1930s a man could relegate a woman to an insane asylum for absolutely no reason um, just if he had a bad day, I read one account where there was a, a, a husband who just didn't want to be married to his wife anymore and shipped her off and um, and things like that. And um, and so they almost never escaped. And so I thought this would make a fantastic plot for a book. So that's um, so Lady Petra risks her life and her reputation to help um, save her friend from the insane asylum and other women as well. 
That's fascinating. Um, you're right about the whole thing with being able to commit a woman, a woman to an insane asylum so easily in the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, it really was shocking. It was. Um, and, you know, and I had, I stumbled upon this article about this. And um, whenever I first started researching what I wanted my plot to be. And once I stumbled upon it, I did see evidence of it in, in various period dramas and whatnot. They would sort of mention it or sort of threaten it and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But um, but anyway, it was just, I found it so um, shocking and fascinating that this could happen and that it happened for so long. I mean, even into, um, I and I keep forgetting to look, but I want to say it was the early 1930s. And, um, and so, and I thought, you know, this, this has to be something that even though I can't go back in time and help correct it, my character can. And that is one of the greatest things about writing uh, mysteries and fiction in general and everything, but especially historical fiction is being able to kind of help right or wrong if you can, so. Why do you think spinsters, and I'm using that term in the positive sense, not the pejorative, make such good amateur sleuths. I have a theory, but I'd be interested to hear what you have to think. Well, I think that they're known for being nosy. They're known for being an inquisitive. Uh, they're often overlooked. Um, a lot of times they're they're seen, as, as I said, as sad and pitiable. So they can kind of, you know, meander into these conversations and people don't give them the credit that they deserve. And um, and so I think that a lot of it is because they don't have a husband and a, and a family to concentrate on. And so that sort of nosiness, um, you know, allows them to. And, and I again, I use nosiness as a positive term and everything like that. But they have this inquisitiveness is what I should say that allows them to um, to take apart the situation and kind of look into it a little further. And, you know, and a lot of these women, again, they were smarter and tougher than anyone ever gave them credit for because they had little rights at all as a, as a woman in general. And then as a spinster, they had almost none. And socially speaking, they were way down low on, you know, and they were, um, you know, generally just meant to be pitied. And, and, and if they made it through life, they did it out of sheer internal and mental and emotional toughness. And that's what I kept seeing after I'd seen all these period dramas before that I was watching. But whenever I really took note of this, that's what I really noticed. I was like, these women had to be so tough. I mean, because they were just, um, you know, nobody gave them the respect that they deserve. And so to me, that's what I, I found so fascinating for them. And I think that that's what um, makes them such great amateur sleuths. But yeah, would I you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think you're absolutely right. I think especially about the fact that they didn't have the encumbrances that other women who might be married or had other obligations. I mean, if you're a married woman, it's hard to go sleuthing around because you have expectations that you may be taking care of children, a husband, a house. But if you're a spinster, you have a little bit more leeway, like I'm taking the afternoon off to go see what's happening in the haberdashery shop or something like that. Exactly. And they could also get away with being out in public without a chaperone mm -hmm. and uh, which other married, you know, well, I mean, married women could and everything like that, but uh, unmarried women could not 
Um, but once they were a spinster, then all bets were off, you know. <laughs> Your book is set in the Regency era. For those listening in that might not be familiar, can you kind of explain um, what that time period was and why you chose that particular era for your setting? Okay. Um, well, the Regency era is technically 1811 from to 1820. And that was when um, Prince George, who became George IV, um, and who was the son of George III, who we all know was the Mad King George and, you know, from Hamilton and everything and from history, of course. And, um, and uh, so Prince George had to act as regent for his father because of his father's mental instabilities. And so he was given basically the powers of the king, even though he was still, um, his father was still alive. And so uh, those years, um, whenever he became regent until he became king were 1811 to 1820. And then the sort of regency, there's also people who consider it sort of a long regency or whatnot. And that starts really sort of in the late 1700s all the way to um, 1836, whenever 1837, whenever um, uh, King Victorian. William passed away and Victorian came into power and then it became the Victorian era. And um, so, and it was really marked by the fashion, the clothing, the excess, the, um, the parties. Um, and so there was so much about the Regency era that is just so fascinating. And it still remains in the zeitgeist to this day. I mean, even people that I know who are like, okay, I'm not real sure what they're when the Regency is. And I say Jane Austen and they immediately can go, oh, the dresses. And they, you know, they, they kind of like mime it out and I'm like, yep, yeah, that's, that's the Regency and whatnot. So, um, I love, I wanted to do the Regency because I was been fascinated with it since I was young. I literally grew up watching, you know, period dramas and reading, uh, you know, historicals and whatnot. And, I love the Victorian era, but always seemed a little darker to me, a little, um, yeah, and a little more gritty to me. And the Regency era seemed to be a little bit more light filled. And that's sort of what I, I wanted to do. And I loved the fashion. Um, and so, um, and, and I also really love that there were, and uh, I just wrote about this in a blog post that there are horses everywhere and I'm a big, you know, horse lover. So the idea of being able to put horses in a book, I was, I was all for it. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, I think you're right about all that. Another author, and I wish I could remember who it was, explained it to me in terms of the Regency era was far enough in the past to seem glamorous to us today but close enough that it was not so different like the Tudor era or something like that. So it was kind of the best of both historical worlds. That's very true. It's absolutely very true, you know, and because um, it, it does seem to this day, people glamorize it. And um, so that, and that's a, that's a great way to put it. So whoever said that, I applaud you. I wish my memory was better, but whoever it was, thank you. Um, <laughs> Now, I'm sure you had to do some research besides watching period dramas for your new historical. Um, what kinds of sources did you use? What did you find particularly useful to you? What surprised you the most when you were doing your research about the Regency era? Well, um, there is so much about the Regency era out there. And I do want to give a shout out to a lot of the 
Regency romance writers because a lot of them do blogs and they put their information for all of us to see and learn from on these wonderful blogs. And so they, they've just been so helpful. I read so many of them. There's also a Regency uh, readers um, group called the Beaumont, which has been amazing. And, um, but then of course I went through, you know, and found books and found, um, you know, sources on the, you know, internet, of course, and everything. And um, one of my favorites that I found um, is called The Complete Servant. Trying to oh, wow. It. And um, and this was actually uh, written in 1826 by a married couple who were servants for over, I think, 40 years of their life or a combined 40 years. And so they were actually servants during the Regency era. And this is basically a handbook and this, and they reprinted it. You can see that it's, it's a, you know, and it's just a reprint of what this, um, the basic, you can even see like that there's errors in there and like, you know, the typeface is not as clean and whatnot. Um, but it, I found it just fascinating because there's everything in here from recipes to the way servants should act, the way, the way they should, uh, what they should wear, what they earned. Um, uh, there's even a, uh, like a carriage post um, timetable as far as like how much it would cost to get from certain areas to certain areas. And, um, and it's just, I found it so fascinating. And, um, and then I read Jane Austen's letters to, um, to her sister, which were amazing. And my goodness, that woman sounds so modern to, I mean, if you read her, it's just, it's no wonder that she has continued to be, one of the most amazing writers to this day because she just she just transcends time and and just and was so um you know she had such a wit about her and uh and just moxie for days uh, you know so I they, that was fascinating as well but those are my favorite and you know some of the things that I found you know that were the most fascinating were really just little things like you know little things that you might not have thought that they ate, but they did, or that you thought that they might have and that they didn't. And, um, you know, and little things about the way that they dressed and, you know, what was uh, etiquette and whatnot and um, etiquette or surrounding balls and little things like that. And um, there was, God, there were so many things that I found fascinating with it and everything. But I have to say that this book um, just had so many little tidbits in there that I love. So I recommend it to anybody who's writing Regency, but it's on Amazon. But. Great. Um, I think whether you're writing historical fiction or historical mysteries, it's kind of a tightrope for an author. How much historical detail do you put into your story? How much do you have to kind of take away so that modern day readers don't feel like they're in history 101? How do you walk that tightrope now as a historical mystery writer? Well, um, if it were up to me, I would put it, you know, so much uh, <laughs> historical detail in there because I just loved that part. It was, everything was fascinating to me. And I mean, even down to like the littlest things like how to do a locked letter and which I found on YouTube and everything. And I, I did slide that into my book and everything, but I, I had this whole thing about how you do it. And it was like half a page long and I had to cut that out, but, um, <laughs> but that was one of the things. So, I mean, you know, um, I, I found that um, I allowed myself to put in as much as I wanted to 
in there. And then I sort of had to slide some things out and, you know, and whatnot. And my editor's room was really great about going, is this a little too much or whatever? But luckily she was, um, you know, didn't ask me to remove too much of it. But, um, but I did find, you know, at first this, cause this was my first historical novel. So I was very, very stressed out about wanting to get it right and wanting to get those details right. Cause if you go on to some of these Regency blogs, mm -hmm. you will hear they are very intent on you getting it right. And, um, and after a while I did have to give myself a break and I did have to say, you know, okay. Cause I want her to have a little bit of a modern sensibility um, but I don't want her to be modern. I just want her to have, to be a little bit forward thinking, I suppose. And so I just tried my best to, to, uh, weave both of those things in there, but I tried to keep it as much to the time period as I could. And, um, but I, I guess, you know, just giving her just those little modern sensibilities whenever I could, um, was just, was just the best. And so, but it was, but I found it really fun. It was challenging, but it was really fun. One of the things that I really loved was um, finding words that they used or um, or slang. There's another book I forgot to bring in. It's called Regency Slang. And uh, whoever wrote it, she was a genius. I mean, it has all these, you could look up a word and find all these words that they used during the Regency. And they were just fascinating. Um, and so yeah, there was just, there was so much that I could do, but um I, I tried to remember that also you had to be kept into the mystery and you had to be kept into the plot. So I didn't, I tried not to bog it down, but I tried to sprinkle as much as I could in there because I really love all those fascinating tidbits. So I think was, you did a really good job kind of balancing those things. I think sometimes we also, as readers, critics, whoever it is, sometimes miss is that there were outliers in every historical period. You might pick upon a person and say, that was not the way a Victorian woman or a Regency lady or would act, but there were exceptions in every time period. So you have to kind of take that into account. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't believe that women had short hair in the Regency, but um, they actually did. It was called the a la Titus or um, haircut, and they were they modeled it after the women in the French Revolution who had to have their hair cut off, and um, and so it was just uh, so. There's all sorts of little things that just whenever you think that you that you know that the Regency is not going to zig on you or zag on you, it does, mm -hmm. and uh, and I just I found that to be so much fun, and so uh, so I'm I'm very glad to hear that I that you thought that I I meshed it well because I I really enjoyed it. It was it's it's a fun book. Um, let's talk about your writing process because you are writing historical mystery. You've written contemporary mysteries. Mm -hmm. My um, thought process, just as a reader, is if you're writing something like a mystery where you need to have suspects, a murder victim, clues, that you have to be somewhat orderly about that. But I've been surprised by some writers who just said, "No, I just sit down and it all comes together." What's your approach to writing? Um, well, I'm one of those. I'm a gold certified pantser and I, oh boy, I try to be, I, I got myself over in the corner. I'm looking at it right now is a, I got a big old whiteboard. I tried to write everything down. I'm a big fan of trying something new, um, every so often making sure that you don't get stuck in your ruts and, and that if there's something that might help you, then great. Um, I tried the, uh, 
the sticky notes um, where you put, write it down and you put them all down and you kind of rearrange them and whatnot. I wrote everything down, took three hours doing it and then never looked at it again. And so, you know, so I really, really tried, but everything just sort of is in here and it's like little puzzle pieces in my head. And it kind of, every once in a while, I have to remind myself of what my timeline is. And so I'll do, I'll write some things down. And of course I have notes that I write down or, or, um, you know, if I find a, a particularly fascinating piece of information, I get the link and I, you know, put it up and I have a big old, uh, uh, Word document with links all through it and whatnot. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I do try to timeline a little bit toward the middle of it because that mushy middle kind of makes you forget where you are sometimes. But other than that, I, you know, I just sit down and I start and I kind of know the general facts. I kind of know where I want it to go. Um, I don't really often know who done it. Um, and now this one is a little bit more of what another bookseller friend of mine uh, called a light thriller. And um, because I've always heard that in a mystery, you try to figure out who done it. And in a thriller is, you know, who done it and you try to stop them from doing it again. So yeah. I have a little bit of a mystery there because I, I do have an unfortunate, you know, uh, um, character who, yeah. who had yeah. the, you know, but, um, but then the, you pretty much know who the bad guy is pretty early on. And, um, but Lady Petra is trying to save her friend and stop him from being able to commit those atrocities again. So, so that was kind of fun. I really like writing those sort of uh, suspenseful, um, you know, thriller-like aspects into my book. That's interesting. Um, if you can, for someone who's never read your books, how would you describe your own literary flavor, the flavor to your writing style. And what I think is interesting is that you've written contemporaries and now historicals, but your voice is the same, whether you're writing contemporary or historical. Oh, well, I I, I love that. I, I hope that others would see that the same way and everything, but I, I love it that, um, well, I should say the, to answer your question, I see my voice as being hopeful, um, on I you know on the little bit on the brighter side but um but I do try to bring in you know dark understandings and whatnot and um like uh Lady Petra um does have a little bit it's kind of teased in book one and if my editor agrees there'll be a little bit more of it in book two that it's a little bit of an anxiety issue going on. And, um, and so, you know, so I try to, um, so I try to bring in a little bit of that, but I tend to like, I love banter. I love um, characters who do smile and, and I love other types of books too. I don't need to read all books like mine, but those are my things. I want um, optimistic characters on the whole but who are very flawed, who are not perfect, who, you know, who go in, into a strop, as they would say in, in England from time to time. And, you know, um, so that's what I try to do. I try to have a character who's very nuanced and everything, but um, but I, I do like my happily ever afters. And, um, and so I, and I do like things to be shorn up as neatly as possible. So, but overall, I would say that my uh, voice is on the optimistic side, optimistic if, with a flawed character. 
Yeah, I think that's a very um, accurate assessment for someone who hasn't read you. I think um, for me as a reader, I always see two elements in your writing style. One is humor. There's kind of a very dry sense of humor that flavors your contemporaries and your historicals. And I well, I guess I'd call it heart because there's always a little bit of romantic mm -hmm. um, thread to a story, to the characters. And I see that developing in your historical series too. Thank you. Yes, that I'm very honored you would say that for both. But yes, I love writing the romance parts. I love it. So, um, so that's and the, um, and the humor, the, writing the humorous banter is one of my favorite things, especially between my main character and her best friend, which in Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Lord is Lady Caroline. And she's got two other friends who come in and become very, very close. But um, Lady Caroline is that character who can just say the most outrageous things and um, and make sure that Petra, you know, remembers that she needs to, you know, focus and and get on it and not, you know, wallow if she's wallowing. And um, so so, yeah, so I, I love that. I love the fact that um, you would describe it as as humor and heart. And that makes me very happy. It's well-deserved. Um, let's take a slight pivot and talk about Celeste as a reader, because one of the things that I really appreciate about you is you're not just a writer, you're also a big reader. So what have you read on your summer reading list that you'd like to share with us? Oh, well, I have quite a big list. Um, and because I did um, a lot of reading this summer, and um, I will say what I'm currently reading is um, A Trader in Whitehall mm -hmm. by Julia mm -hmm. Kelly, because I, uh, you know, I have a thing for World War II mysteries and fiction, and so I'm loving it. Um, and then this is one that I found when I actually was in Paris, and um, but it's so much fun. It's a little Agatha Christie-esque, but the main character is a British expat living in the in the Loire Valley in in France and runs a B&B &B and he's very grumpy and um and it's just so much fun um and of course I have my Regency romance Martha Waters oh, are so fun I love her books she's such oh. a beautiful writer oh yeah she is and I'm so jealous I just heard that she's moving to England and I'm just really really green with envy um because I would love to do that but this series is so much fun I think there's one more in the series but um uh, that one is great. Another, um, this is Victorian romance, mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth yeah. Everett. She's incredible and love this series. And I think uh, she has one more in there too. Um, another uh, World War II that I love. Uh, one, my Probably my favorite World War II series is the James R. Ben Billy Boyle series. And so I think a book is 18 or 19. Yeah. And they're as outstanding as ever. Love them. Um Deborah Crombie, um, A Killing of Innocence. She's wonderful. This series is amazing. And I think hers is, I think this is in the teens it's as been well. For like 20 years or more. Yeah. I think. yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. So, um, and yet another World War II. Oh, this is she's third one of the series. Yes. I love this series. And talk about, you know, um, a character with heart and pluck mm -hmm. and, um, you know, an optimism. I just absolutely love um I just love her character and I'm absolutely, why am I blinking on her name for some reason? Um, Emmy Lake. And so, oh, yes, yeah, Emmy Lake. And, uh, and then you had given me this uh, as a recommendation last year and mm -hmm. I finally got to it and I just adored it. So the last bookshop in London um, by Madeline Martin and uh, she, I got to meet her. She's very lovely. 
And then um, one that I was very late to and just got to is the Marlowe Murders Club, which I really enjoyed too. So um, this was a lot of fun. I really love the main character. So, um, so yeah, I did quite a bit of reading. Yes, <laughs> enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. So um, I was able to finish my um, my book two, and then I got to just really, you know, enjoy some immersive reading for a while. So that was wonderful. Which brings me to my next question. You feel free to decline because I know some authors are protective, but you mentioned your work, you completed or worked on something. Can you tell us, is there going to be another in the Lady Petra series? What's next for you? Yes, there is. Um, so book two is with my editor right now, and we just got a title for it. It's called All's Fair in Love and Treachery. And um and it is set still in 1815, and um, and it is set around the three days of celebrations, the real life celebrations that happened in London after they heard that Napoleon had to been had been defeated at Waterloo, and that like the whole city just went bonkers for three days. There were parties in the streets, and these things called illuminations, where they were screens that you would put up in a window and light a candle behind them, and so it would almost project out, you know, a, a scene. And all of the houses in London would have these illuminations, so the city was lit up. There were parties. There was um, a military, um, you know, display of force by uh, one of the princes, and that might feature in the book. Mm. And um, and so it was just really, really fascinating. And um, I don't know. There's a movie from the '70s that I saw. Uh, it was it was Robert Redford. I think it was called Three Days of the Condor or Three mm -hmm. Nights of the Condor. Three Days um, of the Condor. Yeah. Three Days. That's what I thought. Yeah. And um and it was it was really fast paced and it was you know where he had to you know figure out something and and solve it before something happened and we'll, we'll just leave it at that. And that was, believe it or not, my inspiration for book two uh -huh. was little three days of the condor. And, uh, and then also there is, a um, if you've read the last part, the epilogue of uh, act like a lady, think like a Lord, there's a little something shocking that happens. And, uh, so it opens literally right after that. And, uh, and so lady Petra also has to understand and unravel some lies from her own world and her own memories. So there's a lot going on and it was a lot of fun to write. So it sounds crossed. wonderful. That's great. That's uh, that's coming to us soon as readers. How can uh, readers learn more about you? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? Um, I have all of it. Yes. Um, I'm most active on Instagram and I, but I'm Instagram and Facebook and even TikTok now I had to had to oh. do it. Um, but I'm Celeste Connolly author everywhere. And then um my website is CelesteConnolly.com and I'm Connolly with an A-L-L-Y. There's three ways to spell it. So and um so yeah, so I I'm trying and I'm doing a lot of promoting right now. And uh so if you happen to see me, I'm just it's promoting time because I'm three weeks out from my publication date at as of today. And so, um, so yeah, but it's been fun. 
Yeah. I can't believe how quickly our time has flown by. We've been absolutely honored at the Poison Pen to have with us Celeste Connolly, whose new book, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Lord, will soon be near you. You can always reserve it in advance, which I encourage you to do. I'd like to thank Celeste for joining us and sharing such wonderful thoughts about our books and our writing process. And for those tuning in, thank you for joining us for another author chat at the Poison Pen Bookstore. Thank you so much. It was wonderful being here, as always. Thank you, Celeste. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.